I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Welcome to War Stories. It's a treat for me to today interview Sam Fiola. He retired, uh, I, I think you retired in the reserves as a lieutenant commander, or did you not retire? I did not retire. Okay, but you flew UH-1s in Vietnam along with H-3s. Uh, elsewhere as I did in Alaska. So uh, we have a lot to talk about, but we're going to discuss his time in the Sea Wolves. Uh, Scramble the Sea Wolves is the story, but uh, welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you. Appreciate it, Tom. So uh, let's start from the top. What, what, how did you get to Vietnam and where did you go from there? Well, I, I got to Vietnam purely, well, it was, it's a volunteer squadron to begin with. Mm -hmm. And when I got my wings, in uh, Pensacola after two years of training. Uh, my first choice was to go to Vietnam because that's where the action was. Mm -hmm. And there were some instructor pilots from the Marine Corps and, and elsewhere that was pushing that a little bit and, and saying how exciting it was and what a great uh, tour it would be. And so that's how I ended up going to Vietnam. I actually volunteered along with everybody else that went to that squadron. And it was so, right out of well, I was going to say the the you know SOF in the Navy is is not as well developed, at least it wasn't then, as it is today. Uh, how, how did this squadron come about? I mean, it was essentially a light attack squadron, right? Yes. Um, what happened was when the Vietnam War started, uh, the Navy had riverine boats mm -hmm. in the uh, canals and rivers of uh, the South part in the three and four corps, and um, they would. Uh, get ambushed all the time and get shot up a lot. Mm -hmm. And so they, this is in the early days of the war. And so they asked the army for help because uh, the Navy wasn't even over there at that point, other than the riverine boats. So the army provided support for a while, but mm -hmm. they ran into some problems that they, they couldn't fly at night very much. They couldn't fly in bad weather. And um, they were a long ways away from a, a quick reaction type of mm -hmm. thing. So, the uh, the army says, why don't you guys go get your own navy guys to fly uh, for you and support have them support you? And so that that was a good idea. And um, the only problem was the navy didn't own any Hueys. Hmm. So the uh, army said, well, we've got a bunch that we're surveying off our books. They're really out of at the end of their service life, but we'll give them to you if you want them. <laughs> and and the Navy said yes, and uh, and took about 30 of them or, or so. And um, they formed nine detachments around three and four corps. Uh, mm -hmm. Half of them were based on LSTs in the, the major rivers, and one was in the Gulf of Thailand. Mm -hmm. And then the other uh, half were pretty much on land-based at, at various places around. And um, so since the Navy didn't have any Hueys, they sent us to Fort Rucker. Were you? Uh, no, it will. Mother Rucker. Yes. And uh, <laughs> they, they trained us on the Hueys at Fort Rucker. And, and especially, well, we had to learn how to fly, first of all. And then 
most importantly, they taught us the tactics, um, how to do daisy chain flying with two uh, helicopters um, as one rolled off a target, the other one to roll in. Yep. And so that was the tactics they did, they uh, taught us. And then a couple weeks later, they sent us over to Vietnam. Wow. So we were just, you know, fresh out of flight school and uh, our first assignments and uh, and went to uh, to Vietnam. And so I started out in um, at the headquarters for a couple weeks. And then they sent me up to a place called Tay Ninh, which is on the Cambodian border. And it was at the terminus of the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Hmm. So all night long, all day long, you could see trucks and headlights coming down through Cambodia and then stopping uh, across the river from us at Tay Ninh. And that's where they dispersed all the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese uh, regulars down into the southern parts through the waterways, mostly on sampans and uh, things like that and, and just infiltrations across the border. And so that's where the riverine boats got into the business. You know, they, that's, they were trying to stop that. And so then we started flying for them. And because uh, the weather was pretty rough over there sometimes, and the monsoon seasons was bad. Uh, the VC were mostly moving at night, so there was a lot of night flying. Uh, in fact, most of, the, of my flying was at night. And, and you, didn't, uh, you didn't have night vision goggles, right? This was all no, uh, seat of the pants not. kind of stuff, right? Yeah, and no, and no nav aids either. <laughs> we wow. didn't have any nav aids, so it was all VFR flying uh, until you got into some some bad rain or something. Uh, and we were instrument qualified, you know, the Navy, uh, the Navy program, uh, first thing I flew were, were fixed wing. I flew fixed wing for um, almost a year and a half or about, I guess a year. And then I switched over to helicopters towards the end mm -hmm. of my flight training. So we were trained in instrument um, in, in instruments and also in uh, overwater flight. And uh, mm -hmm. just, we had, the fixed wing part of our training, you know, carrier landings, we had to, to do that. Yeah, no, so well, we yeah. Two years of uh, a very intense training uh, made us pretty capable of being able to fly. So how did you, uh, from a, and I, I have a few hundred hours of H1s. It's a fun, what a blast to fly that machine. I mean, it was just uh -huh. a sports car. I mean, yeah. I loved flying the Huey, but how did you um, navigate at night? I mean, uh, was it just finger on the map as far as you could tell? Or, yes. or did you have like a TACAN or an ADF put on a ship or something? No, we didn't have that. We we used the moon, the, the moonlight and the starlight. So yeah. you could see in the cockpit. And uh, if you look at your, you see your maps, we had a map. Mm -hmm. And it was just really knowing what your uh, your visual cues were, you know, yeah. how the river, how the river bended. And, they teach and, you that at Fort Rucker really, really well, actually. Yeah, I don't recall that part, uh, but I'm sure that's that's how that's where we learned how to do it. That's that was our only only way to get around was uh, just having flown the territory a lot and knowing which ways the rivers flowed and and having a moonlight sometimes uh, was both a curse and and not because they could see you as well as you could see down there. Yeah, I actually preferred flying at night because you could see when you're where you're getting shot at because you had the, the tracer fire coming at you it would help tell you where the bad guys were and and trying to shoot you down so 
I didn't mind flying at night too much. Was there no obstructions? You had to, you know, because if you fly in the U.S. at night, you got to worry about power lines and all that. You don't, you didn't have that in Vietnam, right? No, we didn't. But there was one thing that was important. Uh, whenever we went out flying, um, we always had to worry about artillery. Mm. You know, the army was shooting artillery all over the place, and so as soon as you got on the airplane to take off to go to wherever your your uh, your firefight was, you had to call the army's artillery center to find out where they were shooting so you could fly underneath it. So that was wow. our biggest, my biggest worry was uh, from a navigational standpoint, it's not running into an artillery piece coming out of the sky. Yeah, that would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, continue your story. I interrupted you. Um, so um, anyway, we started flying for the, the Navy, started flying for the Navy, which was uh, a big help, I think. And we were, always within what we call the scramble status. Um, whenever somebody got in trouble, uh, mostly it was the riverine forces. That's who we were primarily there to fly for. But, uh, and also the, we flew seals all the time. Mm -hmm. We inserted them and picked them up. And that was a big part. In fact, if you go, if you talk to any seal, they know the story of the sea wolves. Mm -hmm. um, they just dedicated uh, some things at their museum Back, I think it's in North Carolina or Virginia, wherever their, their uh, seal museum is. And, and uh, their sea wolves are very prevalent. So, um, but we also fly for the Army. There was a lot of Army guys on the ground in the jungles and whatnot. And we would not turn down anybody. If somebody needed help, they called the sea wolves. We went. Didn't matter who they were or where they were. Mm -hmm. So we could scramble. We could, we were on it. 12, 12 hour on, 12 hours off, generally, is how our shift worked. And uh, we would be, we, as soon as the, you got the, the call, there was a landline in, in our hooch that uh, whenever that crank phone went off, started jiggling, everybody jumped and ran for the helicopters. And we could be airborne within three minutes. Wow. That's and, tight. Uh, and off yeah. So uh, tell, you've got some stories you wanted to tell us. Yeah, so uh, probably the most significant one for me personally was um, the night that I won the uh, the Distinguished Flying Cross. It was um, we were flying uh, up in Mukwa, which is also on the um, Cambodian border, and there was a Special Forces um, field office there, and they had some river boats from the Navy. So it's kind of a, a co out outpost, and. Um, we were flying a lot of missions up there because that's where a lot of their activity was. A lot of the VC uh, and NVA were coming across down through Mukwa to get down into um, the, the southern parts of um, the waterways in Vietnam. And so we were flying there a lot. And um, they didn't, the VC didn't like that. In fact, they put a bounty on the head of every sea wolf wow. um, if they could kill us or shoot us down. Uh, so we were in Mukwam. We went to a briefing at the uh, Special Forces post, and they said, um, we've had some activity, and uh, our, our Navy guys are out on the water, and um, we want you to know that a, uh, an, an armored personnel carrier had been captured by the VC uh, the week before. And they said when they got this thing, they got a minigun uh, mounted on it, and we haven't found it yet. So just want you to FYI. So that night um, we were uh, 
back across the river, just on a standby mode, waiting uh, for anything to happen. And all of a sudden, about two or three in the morning, it was like the 4th of July. You can see it where we were, we were sitting beside our helicopters. Uh, just tracers went off all over the place, uh, loud booms from, from rockets or grenades or whatever, just went crazy. And so obviously we were being scrambled mm-hmm. and um, we got in our, our helicopters and we took off and then we flew in, in, uh, in pairs. So I was the, hel- the um, co-pilot of the lead helicopter. So my responsibility was navigation uh, and, and communication. Uh, along with um, the co-pilot always shot the uh, miniguns. We had two miniguns, one on each side, and we had two uh, seven-shot rockets, pods, on each side, and it was the pilot shot. And then we had two door gunners with M60 machine guns, mm-hmm. uh, what we call freehand. So they just yeah. had you know, an over-their-shoulder kind of thing. And leaning out, they had a tether belt yeah. on. Know it well. They, yeah. Yeah. We had those so, in the Jolly Greens, so I completely okay. get it. Yeah. So anyway, um, we went over to the to the site, they, and uh, the Navy said that they had been shot up and knocked their rudder out and had beached their their uh, boat onto the beach. And um, so the sailors were stuck and they were under fire. Um, and so we rolled in and, and it was an area that was a, like a horseshoe in the river. And right in the center of the horseshoe was that APC that the VC had uh, captured. And they had a minigun right in the center. And on the left side of the banks was a, a Chinese 51 caliber on the right side of it was the, another 51 caliber. So they had triangulated us perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and he sucked us right in. Uh, and uh, we later found out that was a setup specifically to try and, and shoot us down the sea wolves. So anyway, we rolled in on the first, um, the first run, <clears throat> excuse me, on the first run. And uh, we just took so much fire. It was coming from the minigun and coming from the Chinese, uh, 51 cows, uh, and we got enveloped. The, the trail ship behind us said that you, we thought you were shot down. So it was just a solid blanket of red tracers had enveloped our air. They lost sight of, sight of us, and they were right behind us. And um, when the pilot rolled off of, the, of our chute, you, know, you start out at about 800 feet, and you go down to about 200 feet is where you break off. Uh, when we broke off, the pilot actually turned us upside down and mm. he don't normally fly upside down. And yeah. the reason we know that is because I took rounds through the top of the rotor blade. He just so broke so hard is what you're saying. He did. And he yeah. uh, maybe kind of a panic a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty scary, but uh, luckily he, he didn't rip, rip the rotors off. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when he, when he rolled us upside down, uh, I looked over my left shoulder and I saw trees above my head. Wow. And um, and blade, we went into blade stall. All the red lights came on. The siren came on in the, hel- mm-hmm. in the cockpit. And um, I reached over and I hit the, the pilot's arm and I said, I've got the aircraft. Ah. And that is the last thing I remember. Wow. Now, the crew chiefs in the back, I had, I had a, 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 two door gunners in the back. And they said that I managed to roll the uh, helicopter. I, I lowered the power, got my rotor RPM back, um, and um, 
recovered. They said they could reach out and touch the the, the water of the rice paddy. It was that close when we stopped. When I stopped, I the, believe uh, it. Yeah. So it was, it was less than forty feet. You know, probably around ten or fifteen feet when I finally got everything under control, and then uh, took a breath and we flew away. So you weren't, you didn't have any like aircraft damage in the engine we or didn't. transmission or anything. No, the only wow. thing that happened was was the rounds going through the rotor blade. Wow. And uh, and so we regrouped uh, off to the uh, you know probably a half a mile away. Uh, the other uh, the trail ship came up and said, "My God, we can't believe you guys are alive. We mm -hmm. thought you were gone." And so we decided, you know, we had we talked about what are we going to do because the firepower was just un unbelievable, but the boats were still beached and onto the shore, and there were still sailors out there getting shot at. So. We said we just got to go back, and so we went back another three or four runs. When um, the thing that probably saved us after that was a pair of Black Pony OV tens mm -hmm. uh, from our base in uh, in Bentui were in the area and heard the the call, the firefight and stuff, and came up. And they had some bigger ordnance and stuff, and uh, yeah. and they helped uh, help get us out, and, and the other guys kind of quit shooting after the big guys got on site. But um, yeah, uh, later on that night, we well, actually, right after the Black Ponies came, it, we, there was a, over 150 VC in a, in a big field in the rice paddy area that were running away from the, uh, from the river. And we caught them on searchlights and just emptied everything we had. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea how many we killed that night, but, but there were a lot. But anyway, that was my uh, that was my claim to fame. I, I can feel the uh, tension in your voice <laughs> when you're telling that story. I, I wow, yeah. It was all you know. It was all I mean, you, you'll know this. It was all training. It was all uh, memory, remote re memory, uh, mm -hmm. because I could how I could roll that thing level and and regain RPM. Uh, and and fly it away. It was just all remote, and I don't recall it actually me doing it. It just that's that's what it did. Wow. So anyway, great story. Uh, you've got some more. I right do. Um, there's a couple of things that I wanted to, to mention. Um, the um, this, our squadron um, is turned out to be uh, at the end of the war. After six years that our squadron was in existence, we were the highest uh, decorated naval aviation squadron in history. Wow, that's saying and something from World War it II. It is, yeah, it is. And um, we had there were over seventy-eight thousand missions that we flew, mm. one hundred and thirty-one thousand flight hours, and uh, you know there's four thousand confirmed kills and another three thousand probable, and just on and on, and then. The, the guys, we had five Navy crosses in, in our squadron and 31 Silver Stars, two Legion of Merits, uh, five Navy and Marine Corps medals, and 219 Distinguished Flying Crosses. And then it just keeps going down. Wow. Um, Impressive. So it was, it was something. And then my personal experience there was, um, let's see, I had 120 total flight hours, 543 combat hours, 
524 combat missions and 291 night night flying hours. That's a lot. Yeah. That, that was a lot. It's going to be a good day. This Monday we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out, familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. Um, so anyway, a, a couple other interesting things. I was from West Virginia, mm -hmm. and I discovered that um, that per capita there were more West Virginians sent to the Vietnam War and and, and lost their lives than any other state. Uh, per capita, um, I was uh, drafted A one or one A. Um, while I was in college, I was deferred while I was in school, and since I graduated, I was going to go to Vietnam. I was uh, I was a one A going right into the army. I'm sure, mm -hmm. and uh, that's why I joined the Navy to try and stay out of Vietnam. Mm -hmm. uh, and I figured being on a Navy ship would be a lot safer in the long run. But as it turns out, I ended up volunteering to go to Vietnam and, in fact, uh, to, to a combat squadron. Um, so there was one interesting part about the, uh, the, the Sea Wolves also. Uh, at one time, we had 128 officers in our nine detachments. 128 officers. 103 of us were Lieutenant JGs. Jeez. So very young. Very, very young. young. Very young. Um, and even our, our um, enlisted guys, the, I don't think any of them had over three years in service. And they were all trained not only as door gunners, but also as maintainers. So when we were out on detachment, you know, if we could fix it, we, uh, we, tried, we had to fix it on site if we could. It was, uh, it was a major effort to get that airplane back to our headquarters. It's not really how old you are. It's, it's, it's what you're given to do. And and guys just grow into the role quickly, you know, even, it, even if you're you 20 years old, you know, you do. And, and it's amazing the maturity level that, uh, that you gain quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, our door gunners were probably the backbone of our squadron. You know, they, they were the heroes of the squadron. Those guys could, could shoot like you wouldn't believe standing out on the skid and reaching underneath the helicopter to shoot behind you. And, uh, those guys were just amazing. Uh, so highly respected. Uh, and we were all one big family. It wasn't, there wasn't a lot of difference between an officer and enlisted. You know, we sure, were all, the, sure. uh, there were eight of us, eight officer and eight enlisted on each detachment. Mm -hmm. And there were nine detachments. And so we got to be pretty close friends and, and whatnot. And there wasn't a lot of military protocol there. I get it. Yeah. Uh, so um, a couple other story, if you want to just talk about yeah. the war. Um, when I was at Tain Inn, which was the first base that uh, I was sent to on the Cambodian border and with the Ho Chi Minh Trail across the river at the end of it, they um, they shot rockets at us all night long to try and keep everybody awake. And um, it was just relentless. And uh, the Ar the base, Tain Inn base was all army and there were 3000 army guys on the base and there was 
16 of us Navy. And um, so we didn't get the nicest accommodations. We, we got a hooch and the army guys had a bunker underground. Uh. But the story I tell on that, we, you know, you lay in your bed and the sandbags are up above, you know, two or three sandbags above the height of your, you lying down. So the, uh, the risk of you was getting hit directly by a rocket right uh, into the hooch. So if they were outside, the, the uh, shrapnel would go into the sandbags. But um, we'd be uh, dead asleep, and those rockets would start coming in and impacting. And if they got close, it was all, again, it was just a memory thing. You could tell when an incoming round was coming and the difference between an incoming round and an outgoing round. Mm. Incoming rounds were coming. I literally found myself rolled out of the bed and was crawling down the hallway on my fingers and toes to where the bunker was, where the army guys were living and just rolled down the concrete steps into their bunker. Did that many nights and, and didn't even realize that that was happening. I'd wake up about halfway down to the, to the bunker. Um, so that was pretty interesting. And they also, the army had 105 howitzers, which were very close to where our hooch was. And, um, and like I said, you could tell the difference between an outgoing and an incoming. But those howitzers were loud. And uh, I'll never forget when I first got there, my first attempt to go to the, to the, uh, to go to the, uh, the eight-holer out back to go to the bathroom. And, and I didn't even know that those howitzers were there until the first one went off. And that scared me. I thought I'd, I couldn't take a crap for a week. <laughs> I just sucked that up, man. Um, wow. So then um, a couple other stories. Well, let's see, you know, 3,000 Army guys, you know, unfortunately, uh, sorry to even to say this, but uh, there, uh, when payday came for the Army guys, there were roving gangs of uh, soldiers that would hold you up, hold people up and steal their money. Mm. And um, I carried a 45 with me my entire tour. I slept with it. Uh, never had to use it, thankfully, but uh, but you never knew what was going on. And some of the you've heard stories probably of, of uh, officers getting fragged in their hooch. Yes, uh, that that was that happened there uh, more often than you'd like. Um, and well, I remember one night that I was out flying. Uh, we had been on a scramble, and. Uh, had gone out to support uh, some Navy guys and we were out there quite a long time and uh, we started getting low on fuel. And when we finally decided that we had to give it up and, and go back to, to rearm and refuel, uh, we went back towards the base and um, the base suddenly became, came under fire. Well, just before we got there, our, um, our fuel light came on, our low fuel light. And with that, they say you have anywhere uh, up to 20 minutes of fuel left is generally, I think, if I remember, that's that's what it was. Right. Um, and so we couldn't land to, to get our fuel because it was under attack. And we kept flying around and flying around and said, man, we got <laughs> it's about to go. Um, so we finally decided to go in. There had been a little let up in the, in the rockets and we landed. The pilot got out 
and left me in the co-pilot seat. And he got out and, and grabbed a fuel hose uh, along with the crewman and uh, started fueling the, uh, the helicopter. And then that's when we started getting hit again. And we probably had just barely uh, started the refueling. And I told him to yank out the fuel hose because I'm leaving. I'm not sitting here. And I took off and I flew around for another probably five or 10 minutes, at least five minutes. I mean, so it felt like a lot longer because that low light, low yeah, fuel light sure. was on the whole time. But uh, fortunately, I didn't run out of fuel. And uh, the pilot and the crew chief had gotten out of the, of the helicopter were able to get behind a, a, a bunker kind of thing. Um, so those were the exciting things. Um, then we moved... Um, after Mucklock, uh, sorry, Mukwa, uh, and um, we moved down to Bin Luc, which was a Navy, uh, a Vietnamese Navy base. And we also had some American Navy guys there and, um, and two detachments there. We co-located with another detachment of ours. And um, it was a nice little base, um, but there was a fence across the river. And... Um, when we took off from our um, land or from our where our revetments were, you had to cross a ditch um, so you could. We we were very heavily loaded, as you can imagine. We had mm -hmm. you know fourteen rockets and and the miniguns and all the ammo that went with it. I think we carried 20, over twenty thousand was it, no, probably ten thousand rounds of ammo on each wow. mission. And um, we were heavy and with the humidity and, and the temperatures and everything, you know, you, you had a very heavy helicopter. So typically um, you'd lift it up into a hover and if you could get it off the ground and mm -hmm. sometimes. You didn't. So if you would get it as light on the skids as you could, and then you just nose forward. Skids. and get Right. Get some airspeed. Yeah. And, yes. And so the, uh, the, two door gunners would run alongside the helicopters <laughs> and just when it gets that translational lift shutter that you get right yeah it's going to jump on and hopefully we'd be airborne well there was this ditch about halfway through <laughs> this process so we'd have to bring the collective back up to get enough altitude to jump over this ditch and then land it again and keep on skidding so it was uh yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Well, let me ask you, um, you flew the H3 too in a different uh, vein. I, but I found it a much smoother helicopter, but maybe not as much fun. I mean, what, what was your impression? I, I would agree completely. I mean, it was a twin engine, uh, the H3. Um, I did mostly anti-submarine warfare flying mm -hmm. off of a, a carrier. Um so our missions weren't all that exciting. Yeah. Was, a lot of it was mostly exercise stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I flew that for uh, two years. And um, it was certainly, you, you described the the Huey, the, the B model Huey that I flew mm -hmm. was really like a, a sports car. Mm -hmm. um, but I'll tell you that the one helicopter that I found to be probably the most maneuverable uh, and versatile was the H-46. Yeah, we never, yeah. Twin, twin rotors, yeah. ten rotors. Uh, Stop that, that on a dime, good. I guess, right? Yeah, you could. Really yeah. could. Yeah. So. 
Well, Sam, that's that's great stuff. Uh, happy Veterans Day. Is there anything else you want mm -hmm. our audience to know? No, I, I, I appreciate that, uh, that you had me on this podcast. Um, is there a way that is it being recorded, I think? Yeah, we're going to stream it live tonight at uh, 7 p.m., so okay. I'll send you the link. Okay, thanks. Uh, but um, I just, you know, I um, I really enjoyed my tour, my time in the Navy. I had 11 years in the Navy, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I did like every bit of it. And uh, I'm not, I'm not sorry that I went to Vietnam because I feel very proud of having gone mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of the, a lot of other guys. So yes, yes, there's that uh, that that pride of, you know, being in a group like that is is fantastic, uh, even yeah, though it's yeah. tough circumstances. And anyway. it certainly helped. I mean, it sort of set me on my careers. Uh, you know, there's not a day goes by that I don't think about it. Honestly, I I mean, it. Yeah. how lucky I have been and how lucky I was to come out of that alive. Uh, and I, I do uh, appreciate it. And it really helped with my leadership skills and mm -hmm. things that happened to me later on in life. It just really always in the back of my mind. And I just felt confident, really. You know, yeah, I survived. You, once you've been through that, there's not much <laughs> they can do to you, right? I exactly. Mean... <laughs> you want to fire me? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay. Sam, well, thank you. Okay. Well, Appreciate take care. It. And and your your story is in the book by Bill Scott. And what is the name of that book? Combat Contrails, right? Combat, Combat, Con Combat Contrails, Vietnam. Okay. Excellent. Thanks, Sam. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye.